Welcome to the Creation Grounds Podcast, where we break down the success, habits, and the life of people in creative fields, discover how they've gotten to where they are, what they aspire to be, and how you can live your dreams too. Let's get to the show. Welcome to the show, Lauren. How are you doing? I am wonderful. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. The Creation Grounds is glad to have you. Where did you grow up, Lauren? Um... That is actually a very complicated question because, so what I tell people is I'm from New York because I was born here, but I moved to a bunch of different cities. I may have gone to 10 elementary schools and something like that um, through, from uh, kindergarten through uh, eighth grade. Um, And I went to uh, high school though in DC uh, for the same high school all four years and then college in Atlanta. So I wouldn't necessarily say I'm from D.C. because I spent the same amount of time there as I did in Atlanta at Spelman, but those are my formative years. (laughs) But I've also lived in New York ever since I graduated from college. So because I lived here the longest of any place, I just say I'm from here. I'm not really from anywhere. I'm from every major city USA, basically. (laughs) Um, uh, That is a very long answer. So somewhere in between D.C. and New York is probably the right answer. And when did you move to D.C.? Um, for high school. And so uh, ninth grade, ninth through twelfth grade is uh, what I spent in D.C. And it was interesting because um, it was like the early 2000s. So it was a lot of oh yeah yeah uh, a lot going on in the city at that time. And I did feel somewhat like I had been like dropped off in somebody else's territory like that's what it oh. that that's what it felt like to me um because I had mostly gone to suburban schools and then we moved into like DC DC and I took the train every day to school with me and my um I have a sister who's a year younger than me and so we just adapted really and it was tough <laughs> <laughs> it was like people got in a fight like you know people that die that you know you know it's just it's a lot it's intense it was difficult and then the city doesn't even is not even like that anymore it's like disneyland like it's really nice now <laughs> like i go back yeah. don't even recognize it so in a lot of ways it was um traumatic but i don't think that experience is different than a lot of other people that grow up in um inner cities the only difference is that i didn't start there so i have a little bit of a different perspective like i really did feel dropped off um, but I made friends with a bunch of dope people that were awesome, <laughs> um, and, 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 and trying to survive it too. And just because people are in it and from there doesn't mean that they want to be there either. Um, no, absolutely not. yeah, so, so it, it kind of teaches you or shows you that there's like this human stuff that we all have. And just because people speak differently, um, or uh, raised differently than you, that doesn't mean that they they don't have that same human stuff that you have. So maybe that's really my origins as an actor, really, and like being empathetic and understanding people's humanity. But it, that was that was my experience in DC. Um, and I went to a it was an interesting setup because I went to a school that was Catholic, so mm-hmm. it was very strict rules. But then everything outside of that was like chaos. <laughs> right. so, and most of the kids that go to that school. Um, Archbishop Carroll, um, they, uh, most of those kids go to college, but everyone else outside of that, that wasn't everyone else. That's not what everyone else knew that they were going to do with their future. I mean, some people definitely did, but that was definitely not 
100% of what was going on. So, but I always knew that I was going to college because I had my parents, and so that was never, I was like never doubted in my mind. But that was also like an interesting dynamic because you're in one situation, you're around all these people where the only thing that matters to them is what they're going to do when they're 18, and then there are these other people that are just, just kind of like living. It's like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. No, no <laughs> direction, no, no guidance. It's yeah, it's, uh, like that though, you know, because because those are your friends too. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of you, you kind of it's kind of beneficial for you because you're coming from the suburbs, you have that aspect of what humanity's like and then like you said, you also go to like the inner city and you see like two different worlds and you learn and grow from that. Um yeah. you also were raised by I think from my understanding your mother was a Black Panther, right? She 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 or is. was, yeah, exactly. She I, is, I don't was. think you ever stop being a Black Panther, but yeah, she is. Um She's an interesting person. <laughs> she is very, very fascinating. So my mom uh, is an immigrant. She is from Belize. She came to America when she was seven. Um, and, and she's, a, in her words, a bit of a, a wild child. So her, her, her parents sent her to live in California um, with her aunt um, in the Bay Area when the Black Panthers were developing. And so one of her cousins... Oh her to a Black Panther meeting when she was 14. And she, and the thing that she said she'll never forget is one of the leaders, he stood up and he said, a, a lot of things will try to control your mind, but you can always be free through education. And and so she always had that in the way that she raised us. So I always thought like this, like these things were normal. So like I could read when I was three. And my, or my parents, um, my dad used to have these, uh, these cardboard cutouts that had a picture of a black figure and then what they did. So like I knew about Carter G. Woodson and Matthew Henson and Booker C. Washington and W.E. Du Bois, like all these people from my home life. And I just thought that everyone knew about them because to me, they were like Amer part of the American fabric. And at that time I went to an all black um, elementary school too. So my whole world was just that. And my dad would say things like, most of the world is of people of color, and et cetera, et cetera. So, like, I literally didn't know that black people were a minority. Like, I had no idea. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> so, and not, until, like, not until we moved to Westchester and um, I started <laughs> third grade, and I was like, where are these people come from? Like, I'm so, so confused. <laughs> so, so, being, so, like, growing up, I, I never really thought about it as growing up at, with a black panther because... I mean, she's my mom. I don't look at it like that. But when I look back on it as an adult, it's being comfortable w with agitation. It's being comfortable as a free thinker. It's being comfortable with self-education. Um, so, so that's what it was. So it, it kind of bothered me a lot when the Black Panthers get all this negative attention because I never associated it with that. To right, right. To, 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 to me, it was always about um, they were, uh, early childhood education. The breakfast program was what, what she participated in. And, and I don't know why people get so caught up on the guns part. I mean, I don't think it's any different than the NRA. In fact, I, I never understood why the NRA wasn't more a proponent of the Black Panther Party. I, I was just like, well, isn't that what you guys sort of like your main thing like <laughs> shouldn't she be like in defense you know i mean but we know why because of systemic racism and you don't want to see brown faces taking power and all this stuff but that's like a whole another discussion but if we were talking like general fair terms <laughs> that's how it would work 
So that's that's what my uh, early childhood life is like, <laughs> um, and that and and that's which I I think she took away from um, the the party. But yeah, I don't think that's something that ever ever leaves you. Yeah, for sure, it's a uh, fabric of like who she is. Yeah. So, when was your first acting gig or modeling gig? Well, funny you ask that. So, actually, when I was a child, my mom had me doing the modeling stuff, and I was on the cover of a math book. When Were I, you really? Yeah, when I was like seven. <laughs> so I, I feel like that's my first like. That's why you look familiar. In the, exactly. That's why you look familiar. <laughs> I knew it was on my math book. That's what it has to be. <laughs> no, when I was seven, I, I think that I, that's what I would like classify as my first like job. <laughs> like they paid me, I showed up. That was it. Um, as an adult, I'm trying to I'm trying to remember. Oh, I did this play in Harlem, and it was about teenagers um, in this interesting love triangle. And my character ended up pregnant and abandoned. It was very sad. <laughs> but that was my first, like, move to New York theater job. It was They call it a New Wine Box International. It's in a theater, like, above a church <laughs> and it was one of the first things I, I, I ever did um, when I decided as, a, as an adult that I wanted to be an actor. So those are the two, I would say, as the first. <laughs> how, how old were you for that, um, the one in Harlem? Um, 25? <laughs> So, so you had already been going to Spelman? When did you, so, so you're Spelman girl. I went to Spelman, but I didn't, so I uh, had another career. So I worked in finance. So when I came to New York, that's what I came to New York to do, um, mm -hmm. graduated. And I had did this, uh, had done this program uh, called uh, Sponsors of Educational Opportunities. Um, and it basically puts minorities on Wall Street. So it's super dope. Like, if you know anyone in college now that wants to work in finance, I would absolutely recommend doing it. It's, it's a little hard to get into, but they take um, a couple of kids from all the major schools and from all the HBCs every year. So they give you internship, and then at the end, you can interview with other banks, and you are meeting these people throughout the summer. So you meet people from Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, et cetera, et cetera, which is access you would never get um, if you just had that internship. Um, like if you went to Wharton and you just had an internship at Goldman, there's no way you would be like meeting people from all the competing banks that summer too. So anyway, so 85% of the people that do SEO get an offer to come um, back uh, for a full-time job. So that's what happened to me. So I worked... Um, at Citigroup um, for a little while uh, doing credit research. And then I got promoted, because that's what happens after two years. You either get promoted or you're not asked back. <laughs> and then I, I said to myself, what do you want to do with your life? Which I guess is a big question to ask after only two years of being in the working world. <laughs> but, it, but, but that really opened my eyes because I also worked during the downturn, so it was during the financial crisis. So people were getting fired and like their life dreams were like turning upside down. These people who had worked there for 20, 30 years and they were being let go. 
and then there were no other banks hiring. So what are you going to do? So I was like, I don't think I love this that much to stay in it. Like it, like, like it felt like being on a treadmill for like three decades. So I just said, well, if, if there were not, if I didn't have any fear, like, what would I do? Right. And I was like, I'm going to be an actor or I would be an actor. But I am now, but I didn't know anything about acting. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go to some classes because that's what people do, right? They're like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it seemed like the right trained. thing to do. <laughs> I kind of found I, it seemed like the right thing to do, like <laughs> go uh-huh. learn how to do it, right? Um, I found my way to those acting teachers actually through just researching and being around, being around New York. Um, and some of those people that you've trained with, I mean, you trained with Thomas Wade, Susan Batson, who coached yeah. Nicole Kidman, yeah, and exactly. uh, recently Mariska Phillips, right? Yeah, so, and and Mariska and Susan are kind of related. So Tom, um, there was some, like, acting conference or something, and I went to it, and he was, like, on a panel, so I just went to go talk to him afterwards, and he was like, you should come to my class. And I was like, sure. So he, Juilliard guy, he teaches a a scene study class that he's been doing for forever. Um, he's also a member of like of the actor studio. Um, so anyway, so I went and I and I did that for a little while. And he asked me one time, did I want to go to the actor studio? And I was like, yeah, because <laughs> it's the mem- it's it's only members only, and it's all these super dope people have um our members there or like have tried out a bunch of times and then they didn't get it so much later like i think the the myth is that like de niro tried out five times and all this stuff and, and right now the head of it is um it's uh it's al pacino harvey Keitel, and ellen burston and which is amazing so i was like yeah i want to go so i went <laughs> um and the session i saw was like so so good and melissa leo was in the audience and delroy lindo and just like these super dope people um commenting on people's scenes and like helping them with their work and i saw this guy who i thought was amazing this actor joe marusa who's like a mentor to me um in a lot of ways but anyway i saw him and i went up to him afterwards and we started talking and then he was like you know you should go to susan batson he was like i think that'd be really helpful to you especially as a black woman as he was like i think you should go to susan batson and i was like i trust your opinion I'm gonna go (laughs) so I went um and it's very intense there it's yeah I I don't doubt it it's pretty sure it's a lot it's it's not for everyone it's very specific way of working um everything is for greatness everything has high stakes there's no trepidation anything there I mean it is it is a really really special place that what, what she does there and what she does with people and the training. You're talking about the actor's studio or Susan Batson? Susan Batson's studio. I mean, okay, Susan Batson's studio. Um, she's just unearthly. Like, she's just amazing. So, so, then, so then I was like, oh, I found the place. Like, this is it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's where I think I really developed as an actor um, was at the Susan Batson studio. Because she also, I felt like, and maybe this is just her talent of hers, but a lot of people say that, I feel like she understood me and understands people generally and she could just really be very helpful like I talk to people a lot that go to um like institutional programs um uh-huh. programs at the big schools and, and it, there's not a in a lot of places for undergrads there's not a lot of 
individual attention to who you are as an artist. So right. it because it's school. <laughs> but acting training, I feel like, can be very helpful when it is this way. And I feel like that's why she's so well-known as an acting teacher and why people um, love her so much and why people like, like Nicole Kidman thanked her when she got her Oscar because of that. Like she really, really understands the work of acting and understands people and how they, and how they work as artists. Um, so yeah, so, so I highly recommend Susan. What's interesting about Marishka is that she spent nine years studying with Susan. Mm-hmm. And so she speaks kind of the same language, um, that Susan does. Um, so that's why I like working with her a lot because we you know, come from the same place so she can say things to me that I understand because I train there too. Um, but Marishka is an amazing director and a really, and a, and a, and a really great actress in her own right. <laughs> um, and also because she was an actor, I like directors who are actors because they understand what it takes for actors to take on a role and to get where they need to get to. Um, and they can be very helpful in that way. And and they also kind of know when people are BSing, too. <laughs> right, right. Uh, I really, really, really like people um, who have uh, who have acted before. One of the guys I met um, over at Oxford this summer, he said the same thing. He had been um, an, an actor for a long time, and he's a very, very successful director um, for the past, like, 40 years. And he said that, yeah, because I was an actor first. I think that's really helped me. He was like, and if any of you want to be directors, I really think that you should keep acting for a little while longer, <laughs> which I thought was interesting advice. Um, so I, I, I highly recommend acting training. I think some people don't think of it as, as important, but I highly disagree. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 I think it's the foundation of everything. I mean, if you're directing somebody, you want to yeah, – well, well, different crafts. So, I mean, I guess there's different – aspects of it but i definitely agree with you that if you're an actor you definitely know how to tell a story yeah there's nothing there's nothing like experience like actually going and doing the work but it just gives you a different vocabulary and a way of thinking about it because acting is the thing is people think acting is easy because it looks easy because the finished product looks like people exactly the finished product looks like people are just talking but if great actors make it look easy right that's what i'm saying but it's kind of like like you ever heard that sean penn quote when he says like I wish that acting was like tightrope walking so all the assholes would just fall off. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that's great. <laughs> because it's not just people talking. There's so much going on. It's heightened. It's elevated into art. And that's what makes it dope. But because it looks like people talking, people think that everyone can do it. I mean, mm-hmm. everyone can do it if they study it and apply themselves. You can't just like walk into it. Like I wouldn't like walk into something, walk into basketball and be like, I played sports and be like, I'm gonna shoot ten three pointers in a row. No, <laughs> like that's right, ridiculous. Right, right. <laughs> um, okay, I've 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 <laughs> traveled into another area. No, no, it's, it, it, it all makes <laughs> it makes sense. Tell us about your experience in London. Because you just um, came back from London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, at, at my Bada summer. Um, so I was in Oxford, which is probably an hour and a half outside of London, um, at Oxford University um, in this program um, that's uh, called uh, Midsummer at Oxford. 
and it's classical acting training, mostly Shakespeare. And it's super dope. I mean, it's people from mostly all over America that come to study classical acting and Shakespeare with um, teachers uh, who, who teach at some of the big um, American programs, so Juilliard and Yale, and it's in association with Yale. Um, so a, a bunch of people that are in the drama program at Yale are, are there too. Um, and uh, James Bundy, who's the dean of students at Yale, he teaches for Abada. Um, and also uh, some of the teachers are directors um, with these long histories in uh, Britain who have taught, or sorry, excuse me, uh, directed 30, 40, sometimes 50 productions um, this one guy had directed 50 productions and 12 operas, like just all over the world. So these, so these artists who have worked for a very long time. And it's structured pretty intensely. So we have the classes from 9 to 6. And um, then afterwards, people are rehearsing and um, learning uh, different parts and going over things and doing exercises. Um, and it was amazing because people from all over the country um, removed from everything so we're all having the same experience together right like mm -hmm. we're all American uh, mo right. mostly some of the people are from other parts like Australia and France but, but mo for the most part I would say like 80% of them um, and um, learning all the all all of these things about how to go about uh, the work of performing Shakespeare in a very like tactical and fundamental way because I think that sometimes Shakespeare can feel foreign or feel like an academic exercise and this was sort of bringing it closer to us they took us also to the Royal Shakespeare Company um, we saw Hamlet and it's the first black Hamlet ever at oh, wow. uh, the Royal Shakespeare Company um, and it was dope. <laughs> and so they set it also in West Africa. And so there were drums and colorful shit and dancing. And they're like very involved. <laughs> and I was like, maybe every Shakespeare production should be black. <laughs> I'm like, this is great. I mean, the classical theater of Harlem does like similar sort of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> a stylized version of Shakespeare. And you can set Shakespeare really anywhere because the stories are very human. Um, but I just, I, yeah, exactly, very universal. So it was just, it was awesome. It was beyond awesome. Um, so, so the experience generally at Oxford was great because you're away from um, everything. You're learning things that you care about. All these people deeply care about acting. People I would have never met because they're from all over the country. Um, and studying with these, with all these people that are um, either at well-renowned um, institutions and have, who have worked with well-renowned people and who are working in the industry. So it was beautiful. I, 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 <laughs> I can't say enough good things about it. Um, I really, if, if anyone is interested in that, they should definitely hit me up. I'll tell them all about it. I think, I think in a lot of ways it's great for artists. I think people should also consider doing it. I mean, um, there were a lot of uh, college kids there, but there were also people that were grown-ups and were working and acting too. It was kind of all over 
the place and there are some grad students there too. It was, it was a wide mix <laughs> of, um, of people. Um, and it was this really great, I want to give it to you. Um, in the, in the, in the program for, uh, um, the Royal Shakespeare Company play, um, Hamlet, uh. there was this, uh, author who wrote about, um, fictional spaces. And I just thought it was the dopest thing that I've ever heard in my entire life. But it was basically saying that because, uh, like black folks have um, in a lot of ways been disconnected from identity mm -hmm. <laughs> that um, that that artists have created these fictional spaces so people like um, I'm just gonna read a little bit of it <laughs> um, people like uh, Jean-Michel Basquiat, Toni Morrison, um, Zonel Hurston um, it's a personal myth that becomes true, right? Like it's like sure. folklore that then becomes a part of our like fabric. And then it, it's really great because <laughs> I want to read it to you because right. I love it. <laughs> um, the stories and consonants cross and identities lost or legion, but displacement has also been the breeding, the breeding ground for great art, great beauty. How else? to explain the densely elusive paintings of Jean-Michel Basquiat, the transcendent prose of Toni Morrison, the trickster art of David Hammond. How else to explain the blues or bebop, Stevie Wonder's inner visions or Marvin Gaye's What's Going On or the life of the jazz musician Sun Ra, who insisted that he was abducted by aliens in childhood, raised on Saturn and walked the earth as an alien, thus turning that collective history of capture and forced transportation into resonant personal myths. Why else is what else is there to do when you have no home after all but to create a place of your own a home defined less by geography than by will and imagination the fictional spaces of art are no less powerful than cities or nations for their power to inspire and connect and create communities based on shared affinities that's what books like tony morrison's beloved does or zona hurston's the eyes are watching god that's what hip-hop does that's what eric b and rakim meant when they said it ain't where you're from it's where you at <laughs> Oh, that's a dope. Wasn't that like the dopest thing ever? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty dope. Yeah. Who was the teacher's name? Who it's, put you on to this? It's, 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 it's not even a teacher. It was in the program for the um, um, for Hamlet at the Royal Shakespeare Company. And I was just reading oh, the program. His name, I, I don't know if I'm saying it right. It's um, Akal Eshan. E-K-O-W. And last name E-S-H-U-N. But I just, I was like, that's what it is, right? Like, we, we are creating these fictional spaces. Like, why people feel this intense need to create because of what we've lost. Right, right. And, and, and that's no less powerful than a fucking skyscraper, right? Like, that, that, was, that was one of the most amazing things I've ever read about creating an art and black humanity. I just thought that was great. <laughs> So you, you've, you've traveled the world to study in London now, and you started from <laughs> yeah. all over the U.S. How has your vision for your career changed from just five years ago, and, you, um, and how do you create a vision and then expand it from where you are? I mean, when I first started, I just wanted to act. I was like, put me in anything. I just want to, like, be. Just want to do it. 
in something. <laughs> um, but but now I feel like I want to contribute something. Right, right. Like I want to be a part of a generation um, that reflects humanity to people. I think that's what art is. Um, in this in this part about um, fictional spaces. Part of the reason I have um, the self-esteem about being black not only comes from my parents, but because of some of the great art that I saw when I was growing up, and, and how do we right. create that for for people too? So that's what's really important to me, and that's why I I incorporated that company, Create Inc., the nonprofit, and I'd really like us to start with that vision before all of our work, because I think that it's in, it's in, it's important to think of art as a contribution because it can get very egotistical. Like I'm on stage, people are looking oh, at me. Sure. I must be yeah. special. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's really more of a responsibility of um, to storytelling because um, what's that quote? There's nothing more unbearable than a story not told. And we have yeah. so many stories as a part of the fabric of our identity that I think. Um, are owed uh, some light. <laughs> so right. when I think about my career um, as an actor, that's what I focus on. What do I? What, what is my voice as an artist, and what do I want to? What do I want to say, and what do I want to contribute to the conversation? The conversation. And what advice would you give to someone who either wants to create a vision and they have no foundation, they don't know where to start, or? they have a vision, but now they've accomplished that vision and they want to break through their plateau um, and expand their vision for themselves as a person or a human or their career? Um, it's a big it's question. It's a deep question. Yeah, yeah. Deep. Um, to, I mean, there are several parts, right? To, if, you just want to, if, you, if you want to start, you just have to start. You have to start from wherever you're going to start. <laughs> right. There, there's, no, there's no right way into it. Um, Whatever that feeling that you have, um, you should go with it. There, because there's something about uh, your desires and how they're manifested. So it, I think that your, your destiny, the things you want, they're already manifested to you. And it's your job to either connect and go for it or to like get in your own way. But how do you, right. so when you talk about expanding your vision, how do you kind of stay out of your way? Um, I I think a lot of that has to go with, into the messages that you're sending yourself. I think meditation is <laughs> um, a, a great way to start <laughs> because there are so many outside forces that will uh, sort of sort of shift how you feel about yourself and your work. But you need to be the one sort of putting those things in. Um, one of the teachers, actually Susan Batson's son, talks a lot about this. And he was like, the main, the, the main thing that you are responsible for as an artist is staying inspired. So you want to be very careful about the things you're letting into your brain, whether that be what you read, your friends, social media, um, the, the art that you go to see. Like, if you want to be an artist, you need to see dope shit. Like, you need to be, like you need to be watching things that you think are dope. You need to be going to things that you would think are dope. And then you will meet other people that are like making that dope shit, like, and the, and it will all sort of like build on itself. Right, right. <laughs> like, like it's all synchronicity, it all connects itself. Um, so that's not going to happen from 
from your couch. So maybe you imagine it through the meditation from your couch, but to and, and then push yourself out into the world over and over again in 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 ways that inspire you. And then it will grow. That's what I think. <laughs> okay, so expand on something that you, you, you mentioned, Create Inc. earlier, which is a nonprofit. Where did that idea come from? It came from that sense of uh, I want to contribute something. Well, I want I wanna... to make stuff. Like I right, right. I think of myself, well, now I do. I've produced a couple of plays. I like making things. I, I like to put the people together and like make the thing grow. Um, and because I have been in productions that I didn't love every aspect of it. And I came from a professional background. So I, I felt like some of those things I could do better. I just did. <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to do my own thing. And the first um, play we did, it was fine. Um, and it, uh, it was a good show. Um, and not that many people saw it. <laughs> I felt like some of the production element in, of it went really well. Like, uh -huh. like the costumes and the acting, like all that stuff is really good. But then if it's a contribution to, for other people, then <laughs> people have to. And they need to be in a seat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so that, but but then you learn this stuff by doing it. That's what I'm saying. Like you just have to start. Like if you want to produce a play, you just do a play. Like you, you'll figure right. it out, right? Um, and but the, but the second one we had a, a um a lot more success. But you asked me how I, but why I started it. It started because I wanted to make things. And I wanted things, and I wanted to make things that I thought were professional, and I wanted to make things that I thought were a contribution to the conversation of art. I always admire the people that came from, like the Negro Ensemble Company and yeah. institutions like that. And I was like, well, what if we could do that too with the young artists that I know? Um, and, and the Negro Ensemble Company still uh, definitely exists, and companies like that still exist. But I wanted to expand on that in the way. And from what I come from, in that like, that like hip hop, like it ain't where you right, from, right. where you at, like that whole, <laughs> that whole that echelon of because I'm um, a big fan of the guys, the entrepreneurship of hip hop guys and what they yeah, ate, yeah. you know. So, so I was like, well, I want to do it from there because that's who I am, um, and and and, a lot, and I know a lot of people who are too, um, who love art and theater and film the same way I do. So that's that's where it. it it came from and I'm excited for it because I feel like the more you do it the more you learn the craft and the business and and uh, grow as an artist so it just builds on itself um, so that's where the idea came from and that's where it is kind of now because, because the last play we did the stage adaptation of their eyes are watching God it was still in a small theater it's a 50 seat house but it was, it was sold, sold out, out every though. night, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, I wanted to go and I couldn't go. Oh, you should have hit me up. I would have found a seat for you. <laughs> oh, man, dang. It was, uh, yeah, like like over 500 people came. So I was very happy with that. <laughs> um, so I was like, no, next time maybe we'll do it in a bigger theater. <laughs> um, and, and a lot of it had to do with, like, the way we marketed it and some of the actors we chose, like, very, like, technical aspects of <laughs> um, how some of this stuff works. But still in the vein of that making great art and making a contribution. So that's create. <laughs> okay. And what does black girl magic mean to you? Oh, so many things. 
so many things. So it's interesting, just being a black woman. Um, Break it down, sister. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you about to. Because because you you mentioned asking me that question, and I didn't want it to be too simple because I don't think it's a simple thing. I think it's a very story history of what black girl magic means and why it resonates with people so much. So, um, you know that I love Little Nell Hurston. So, uh, in one of the uh, in uh, There Is a Watching God, um, it says. Uh, the black woman is the mule of the earth. And that didn't really make that much sense to me at the time, the way it does now, because the way I think about that now is um, black women have nurtured a generation through genocide, whether it's emotionally or physically, they have been there to push us through. I think of my mother that way. And I know a lot of other people think of their their mothers, their grandmothers, their aunts and their sisters that way as helping people helping our people survive. And so now it's interesting when you hear people say um, black girl magic, like Maya Angelou says, I was so fortunate to be a black woman. I think if I were born anything else I would be jealous <laughs> because you're seeing these such talented people at the forefront of American society and they're black women. And then it's not only like some talented tennis shit, like it can only be people who have these big major accomplishments, but it's also a recognition of being able to be carefree too. So when people talk about um, the, uh, uh, Obama's children, <laughs> right? Like that's what they talk about. Like them being being able to be carefree black girls in America, which I don't think we've we're used to seeing in a lot of ways. <laughs> and so it's all of that sort of melded together. It's black women who have been the caretakers of our society, black women who um, are accomplishing such incredible things, and then also the ability to be free in a society where we are told not to be. That is black girl magic. So when people say it, it's like a recognition of those things combined. That's why it's so special. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's what black girl magic is. <laughs> How do people contact you either for your, uh, your, your personal social media or create? Do you guys have a website? How do people get yeah, in contact with you? Yeah, all of it's very easy. So I am... Um, on all the things, even though I like Instagram and Facebook probably the best, not really. Mm -hmm. um, and it, my name is my name, Lauren Marissa Smith. Uh, Lauren spelled the regular way, not the Lauren Hill way. <laughs> L A U R E N and Marissa, um, M A R I S S A and Smith like Will Smith. And uh, that is also my website, LaurenMarissaSmith.com. And Create uh, has a website, and it's uh, create-inc.com uh, and you can email create inc through that website or just that info at create-inc.com um, so all very simple okay any parting thoughts anything any words of inspiration artistic wisdom or anything that you want to impart upon the upon me and also the audience I would just well I have one recommendation I think everyone should read 
slash do the activities in the artist way. Um, I think that book is wildly helpful. <laughs> and I also think um, that if you want to do it, if you feel any inkling to do it, just go after it. The process will make you a better person. Dope. You are dope, Lauren. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> this is great. And I wish you all the best um, for your future travels or future things with Create and also your future training. Well, maybe we'll work together one day. Who knows? Maybe so. Thanks so much. That's it for this episode of The Creation Ground. I'm your host, Aaron Lloyd. Be sure to check out our Instagram for future and previous guest info and check out our YouTube channel in the show notes below. Email us with any suggestions at thecreationgrounds at gmail.com. And if you got something out of this, I'd really appreciate if you spread the word and the love. Until next time, this is Aaron Lloyd telling you that the sky is the limit. Stay creative.